0: You can miss a lot of life just because you get in a big hurry. I, I, it seems like whenever we're together as a family, most time I drive, unless I can sneak out into the driveway and get into the passenger seat before Tanya comes out, but she's pretty sneaky. So that doesn't work out very often. So I do most of the driving. The The good part about that is that I actually I like to drive. Just don't tell her when I'm trying to sneak out of it. But I like to drive. The bad part is... You know, you don't see nearly as much of what's around you when you're the one that's always driving. And you can drive past things every single day and never, ever know they're even there because you were always watching, you know, if it's the access road. I know by the dead body count on the access road that there are a lot of deer and hogs and all that kind of stuff, including one that I think David must have a new mount at his house because there's a headless buck out there that it was a real smooth cut, like it was somebody in the construction business, but is out there on the access road. But you know, you, you don't really, I, I don't see a whole lot of living deer or cattle or hogs or anything else while I'm driving on the access road because I'm, I'm clearly seeing all the dead animals I'm trying to dodge so that they don't do like one skunk that I didn't see at night did and end up making my truck smell real good for a week. Or I'm watching at Austin Avenue because there are a whole bunch of people who drive Buicks and have death wishes that like to come out just, you know at random times without looking at all and then driving 25 miles an hour. And that's not an age joke. Don't think I'm picking on older people because I've seen some of them. Some of them are older, some of them are younger, and they're all on their phone. So, you know, whatever. And then I, once you get past there, all you're thinking about is the next intersection where, again, somebody's going to try and take your life randomly. And then you get to the, the main intersection at the highway where, for some reason, my truck has no traction. We were talking about this the other day. That intersection is just slick. And if some it doesn't even have to have rained or, or snow or ice or anything like that. It can just be, you know, somebody spilled coffee out the window or something and my truck won't be able to take off from that intersection. And everybody, you know, coming in, they're all from Austin, right? Because none of you guys would do this. But they're all roaring over that hill at 75 into the 55. Austin people, you know. And so... They're, they're coming through over that hill into the school zone trying, and so you're trying to dodge them. You don't see, I don't see anything, anything at all when I'm driving ar- around except those kinds of things, and you miss a lot. Because if you ever do take time, and it's actually one of the things that I like about having to drive around the access road to the office, is every now and then I'll get to ride. And when I ride instead of drive, especially in the morning, it's usually a beautiful drive in the morning. You know, you had that morning light coming out, and there's some beautiful property, countryside out along that road, and it's really, really nice. There's a few people who have some really nice cattle, there's a few longhorns, stuff like that. I love to take all that in, just don't get to, because usually I'm just too busy dodging Buicks. That's just the way the nature of the road. But we, 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 there's, there's no, we have no idea how much of our life we miss. Because of that sort of a thing. That's just one example. And that's just, you know, seven minutes of the day. That's, it doesn't take much longer than that to get around. Seven to ten minutes, depending on how many people you dodge. It's, it's just that little bit. And you can miss some really beautiful moments in your life. And you think about how many of those in the given day do we miss? How many people do we not see? Because we're rushing around and all we see everybody around us as is they're, they're a distraction or they're noise, or they're just in the way, whatever it is. And who knows what kind of moments God had put in our life that we never saw because we were so focused on the, the need of the moment or the next fire to put out or a task that we were trying to work toward and just missed all of this around us. Willard in his book tells a story about a, a guy who was a bishop and this bishop was about to speak. He was in Australia, and he was at his hotel, and he was trying to really focus and and uh, kind of put the finishing touches on his presentation that was going to be later that day. As he did... The person in the next hotel room starts making all this racket. And they were playing on their violin or their fiddle or whatever. He didn't care which it was. All he cared about was they needed to hush. And they, they were playing and it was loud and it was breaking his concentration. And so he moved to another room in, in his hotel room, large hotel room, and he moved another. And then finally, he got all the way to the other end of the hotel and the maid came in and she's cleaning. And she says, why are you down here? He says, because it's just too much racket. I don't like it. It's too noisy. I can't focus she said do you know who's in the next room he said no why she said that's and I'm not going to say this right she said that's Yehudi Manurin with the with the, the, name, the trouble I'm having names today how am I supposed to get Yehudi Manurin out it's I know what that sounds like and I'm just not going to go there but this is the guy he's a famous violinist and he's up there with uh why would I try his name either he's good let's just say he's he's, he's he was good and uh, YouTube the guy, but don't ask me how to spell it today. But he he's playing in the next room. And when the bishop heard this, he knew about him. He was there for a concert that night. And he says, are you serious? Yes. You know what he does? He takes his chair. He goes all the way back over to the other end of his room, puts it right up next to the wall, and listens to this guy practicing. With tears in his eyes, he says at the end, he says, that's the most beautiful concert I've ever heard. And I can't believe I almost missed it. Because I was just so busy and annoyed. You know, who knows what we've missed and what we've not heard and what would have been beautiful if we hadn't considered that it was just noise. Who knows who we've missed and haven't seen who might have been beautiful in our eyes that we were just too busy a, but to appreciate because of all the noise. Willard says about things like that, he says, let's face it, most of us live... What most of us live, or the way most of us live, is not really life. We're just going through the motions of what might be called a living death. It's your encouraging quote of the day, okay? <laughs> we're going through the motions in what might be called a living death. And the really sad thing is that most of us don't know what to do about it. And I would add, and a lot of us don't even know that's all we're doing. That's the truth. It says most of us don't know what to do about it. The answer is is learning to love. We can't live any better than we love. After that bishop heard the concert, he loved that moment. He appreciated the person who was in the room next door, but he had no appreciation until he actually took a little bit of time to take in what was happening. And the same thing can happen to us even with Jesus Himself, with the Gospel itself. We can be so busy that we just absolutely miss the single greatest thing that will ever happen in our lives. The other day, there was a, a preacher who was... He was griping, okay? That's what he was doing. And I'm not going to pick on him, but he was griping. And it, the thing that he was griping about was, you know, that we can, he was talking about Black Friday. And I'm not going to pick. I know that's just a matter of preference and personality, whether you like Black Friday or not. I'm just not. I'm not. I will pay you 25% extra to avoid... Well, Walmart, much less Walmart at 4 in the morning. So it's just not going to happen. But he was he was griping about that. And he was saying, uh, you know, why is it that we can get up to, at 4 o'clock in the morning? The same people can get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to shop. But they can't get up at 10 o'clock in the morning to worship God. Okay, now... I understand his gripe. I understand what he's getting at. And, and I, I think a lot of people have wondered and felt the same thing. I have wondered at times and felt the same thing. I get exactly where he's coming from. But I want to look at it in, in this context of what we just saw there that Willard had said. We're so busy going through the, the motions and we're trying to tick off a list and we have certain things that we have to do and certain budgets that we have to meet. And so we, we've set that as a priority. And so we're, you know, I understand why some people go to those things. Some people, that's, it's, it's a necessity. That's the only way you're going to get all that to work. And so you, we do that. Okay, so there is that. But we should challenge ourselves every now and then to ask ourselves, are all the things that I devote myself to the most actually the most important? Are they the ones that actually matter? Or am I simply doing what I've always done and, and do I not realize that doing what I've always done will only ever get me what I've always gotten? And if I'm not satisfied with what I've always gotten, maybe what I've always done ain't working. Is what I've devoted myself to the most important thing? Or am I missing Could we be like that bishop? And his presentation was important. But could we be so honed in on that little thing that I want to get done, that I want, need, whatever, that we don't see the bigger picture? We don't even examine our actions in light of the bigger picture of what really was actually most important. And, as the bishop found out, might have brought us far more joy than what we were so focused on. Might have been a blessing of an interruption in our life, so you know, just kind of chew on that. There were people who, who reacted to this preacher and and his his gripe by uh, questioning whether or not he was just being you know legalistic and you know you are you're just worried about people checking things off. And as they did, this this guy kind of shared that that really wasn't it at all. It was deeper than that. What he wanted to know was, are we focusing... What he didn't actually care about the sale or if they were there or not. Are we focusing, though, on the things that really matter? Do we say Jesus is the single greatest thing that's ever happened to us and then act and live in such a way that Jesus was actually inconsequential to us? That what he did actually doesn't matter all that much to us. Otherwise, we would reprioritize, and he really just wanted to know, even for himself, are we really putting him where we say we're putting him? Are we really making him the center of our life? Look at Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, you have the parable of the sower, starting in verse 4. This is all on you version too, if you're using the Bible app. Uh, in verse 4, we'll read a little bit of this. We won't go through all of it. When a great crowd was gathering, the people and people from around the town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil. And it grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That last part is actually the most important part. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When the bishop first heard the noise next door, all he heard was screeching and and loud vibrations of that violin. And I played violin, I get it. When you're tuning that thing up, it is screeching. That's just the way it works, you know. Until you've kind of warmed up, that's what you're going to hear. And I don't think violinists and fiddlers don't like to screech either. But it happens. But is that all you hear? If you have ears to listen, isn't it funny what changed in the bishop's mind? If you have ears to listen to what it really is, it changes your whole perception and appreciation Of everything. When Jesus says there are these four kinds of soil, some are hard like a hard path, hard-hearted people who aren't going to listen and don't care and are never going to pay attention and don't ever put Jesus as a priority. They don't hear the gospel. They don't hear that, that it's a message of grace and mercy and salvation and joy and hope. They just don't hear. They don't want to hear. They will tell you, I don't want to hear it. Okay? That's that path. Neither did he. He didn't want to hear that music. He didn't want to listen. He wanted that guy to shut up. But he changed. When you look at these different soils, you had different challenges. You had people who, are, who think they don't want to hear, who are hard-hearted at the moment, or at least hard-hearted in that one area at the moment, or hard-headed. Some aren't hard-hearted necessarily. It's hard-headed. Any of us in the room hard-headed? All I know is whenever I tripped and hit any furniture as a kid, my mom checked the furniture. But that's a true story. So the and that explains a lot of this morning too, I'm sure. But when uh when he realized who was on the other side of the wall, even his hard headedness changed and he listened and got to hear this violinist in a way nobody else got to. Jesus isn't saying all these soils are in a permanent condition. It may be worry, it may be distraction, it may be uh, all kinds of things that, that come in and choke away your joy in Christ, that distract you from what's most important and get your focus off on things that really don't matter. It may be like Peter out there walking on the water and you just see all the problems and that's all you see. You see all the challenges and that's all you see. You see all the negative and you, you can't... You can't hear the music for all the noise that's going on. And you sink. But it doesn't have to stay that way. I said it before. I haven't said it in a while, so I'll say it again. When we say things like, that's just the way I am, we deny the power of God in our life. When we say, old dogs can't learn new tricks, why would you call yourself a dog? You're not a dog. God didn't create you a dog. Remember somebody years, 20 years ago, somebody said, that. well, you know, gold dogs can't learn new tricks. And I just said, aren't you glad God didn't make you a dog? We get to change, we get to grow, we don't have to stay the same. Isn't that better? It took a while for that to sink in, but the guy got it eventually. He wasn't a dog. He could do better than that. We don't have to stay distracted. We don't have to stay worried. We don't have to stay hard-headed or hard-hearted. Good soil is not just who is receptive in Jesus' parable. Good soil is the potential everyone has to be if they'll yield to the master gardener, to mix metaphors a little bit there. The possibility is always there. It just may take a change in our own focus and our own ideas just to, to give love a little bit of a chance. We, we rob ourselves when we buy into what David Mace is addressing here, and he's addressing this in the context of marriage, he says, uh, one of the great illusions of our time is that love is self-sustaining. It's not. Love must be fed and nurtured, constantly renewed. That demands ingenuity and consideration. But first and foremost, It demands making the time for each other. And that's true in marriage. It's true as parents. It's true in every relationship you've got. And it's true in your relationship with Jesus Christ. To be that good soil, you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to choose over and over again, each day, sometimes by the hour, sometimes by the moment, that you're not going to treat Jesus like a distraction. But that you're going to see and hear Him in a way that lets you see what love really is and start to live what love really is and let Him actually start to, to create in reality the potential that each of us has in Christ, which is that we become more and more like Jesus every single day. We want that. and We know that that's what we're, we're to be giving our lives towards. Some of us have gotten to the point, I think, that we're, we're, we start to question whether or not that's actually possible or true. Because we're so choked by weeds, distractions, worries, hurts, misplaced priorities, all of those things. And we choke out the love that would change our life. He reminds those of us who are in marriage. And he reminds everybody else because it's true. It's universally true. Love isn't going to just work itself out. Love isn't going to just happen. Every day you get up and you decide, today I'm going to be good soil. I'm going to let Jesus plant his love within me. And I'm going to let that grow in all my relationships toward one another. And that's going to change how I act. It's going to change how I react. It's going to change the words that I share and don't share. And then I'm going to be transformed. The relationship's going to be transformed. And if enough of us do this all every day, our world gets transformed. Those who encountered the early church said they turned the world upside down because of it. And it wasn't just the teaching about Christ that turned the world upside down, it was that they lived it and practiced it every day. I've said this before Jesus always is our example. He leads us in how to do this, He never just says, go out there and do stuff. He then shows us, okay, here's how it's actually done. One of my favorite examples is Mark 5. and You can turn over there or not turn over there. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's a longer uh, event. And some of it is uh, details we're just not going to look at today. We don't have to worry about devil ham or anything like that. It's Thanksgiving and it's turkey time, right? So we're not going to worry about it. But I love this story for what actually happened and how Jesus changed his life. Short story you got this guy, Jesus Jesus and his disciples, they pull up their boat onto the shore and they're near a cemetery. You've got this guy who comes running down. He is an absolute example of demon possession. Not just a demon, but demons. So much so that when Jesus says, tell me your name, they say, our name is Legion, for we are many. Okay, that's like beyond poltergeist. That's creepy stuff, right? So you don't ever want anybody coming up to you like that. That would be the Walmart parking lot right there. Okay, that's 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 the, that's the where this would have happened if Jesus had come now. We know that's true, don't we? Somebody would have come up to you. Ro- he'd have probably rolled up naked in that cart. He'd have been riding the cart up to you. And wow, wouldn't that be something. All I know is me and the other disciples have been jumping back in that church bus and, whoo, gone. Because I think that's what they wanted to do. This guy comes up to Jesus and falls on his knees because even the demons... Shudder, Scripture says, in the presence of God. Isn't that? Let me just go back to the very beginning of what we're talking about. We can be so distracted by our lives, by our lunch, by our whatever, that we can miss a God who is so glorious, so holy, so loving, and so powerful that the, even the demons shake and bend their knee and we will treat him at times with the level of respect of a discarded Dr. Pepper can on the side of the highway is that wild that's just a little parenthetical observation isn't that wild these demons showed Jesus respect as he approached they trembled in fear at his authority and at his power What Jesus saw in this man was so different from what anybody else had ever seen. Other people saw him as a distraction. They saw him as a problem. They saw him as a pain in the neck. And they were tired of him. You can kind of understand it. You can see from their point of view how scary it would have been to have had this guy around. Okay, This guy is the kind of guy... That that when discussions come up, like they have lately several times, what are we going to do about church security and all of those kinds of things and as we're trying to work all of that out? I mean, this is the kind of guy you'd watch for in the parking lot, right? This is the guy. And you'd already had three people as soon as his foot stepped in the parking lot going, we're going to need to keep our eye on this guy because something is not right. And they booted him out and kicked him out and chained him up and and confined him to the cemetery. It wasn't that he was just there by choice. He had been run off from everywhere he'd ever gone. And you can understand both sides of the whole thing, can't you? They were scared. They saw him as a problem. He, who knows, I I can't imagine what it's like to to have all of that going on inside your head and your heart, your body and your soul with the darkness that's involved and the the demonic nature of it all. We can't even pretend to understand what this poor guy was going through. But there was still a poor guy in there. And Jesus could see what they had lost the the ability to see, distracted, as you can understand, by all the problems. And Jesus looks at him and sees this man. He sees a child of God. He sees what he can be when love is actually given a chance to be planted and nurtured and grown. And so he drives the demons out of this guy and does what I think I, I've said before, I, I get distracted by all the sensational part of the story. My favorite part of the story is when the townspeople come back and find him. It says they found him dressed and in his right mind sitting there with Jesus. What an awesome picture. And I've looked and looked and looked. I can't find any artist, somebody here who's an artist should do this because my stick figures won't do. But I would love to see a really talented artist paint that picture instead of the pigs going off the cliff. Or I saw one this week where pigs were, he'd cast them off and they were all having a little, what do you call those? Not scuba diving. Snorkel, that's the word I'm looking for. They're Snorkeling pigs, as if that's what happened. And our imagination goes that way. But what about the beauty of this guy back to himself? Is that not incredible? I mean, we've all known people that may not have been quite as bad off as him, but we've known some that were close. And I would love to see that kind of peace restored, that kind of hope, that kind of joy again. And that's what this man found in Jesus just because Jesus saw him and gave him a chance that nobody else would give him because they weren't so, he wasn't so distracted by all the problems. And all of us have been there. We've been both the distraction and we've been the ones who couldn't see the, the person for all the distractions and the problems. We've been there. We've done that. Jesus shows us a way to kind of cut through that. And I wish we could fix everything that he could fix, but we can at least do this. We can restore love and hope and spiritual healing to a person as much as we can with Christ as our guide. Michelangelo, incredible artist, known mostly for things like the Sistine Chapel and his work there, which is absolutely stunning and amazing. And, you know, it's on my bucket list. I'd love to go see that. But... You know, so far, pictures on Google, that's as good as I'm going to get. He was also an incredible sculptor. And I am just absolutely amazed. You know, PowerPoint's not going to do any of this justice. If you've ever gotten to go uh, to some of the the great museums that we have, you know, there's good art museums in Dallas and Fort Worth and Austin, and, and we like to hit all those. You will see, eventually, some Michelangelos. I think... Last time, it was just a small painting about that big. Even that, just absolutely incredible, talented guy. But sculpture really fascinates me. Because, you know, if you mess up on a painting, you can let that dry, you can paint over, you can scrap the whole thing and paint over that canvas and start over. And that's not, I mean, it's a big deal. Okay, it's, I'm not going to say it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. But it's, it's more doable. If you mess up, like you're in the middle of doing this, and her face falls off. That's gotta be a problem. This is why James doesn't do this. Cause this is what James pictures. You know, they say that you, you look, they would, he would look at a, at a block of marble. And he would let the marble speak to him. Okay, I'm not artsy enough to understand what that even means. But he would, that's, that's what they say. And it would tell him what he needed to do. And, and he could, feel within the marble himself as he chipped away exactly how it needed to be done. Some of that's experience. Some of that's just a talent that's extraordinary, okay? And just a gifted, gifted guy. And he could do all that kind of stuff. And some of the things, I'm always amazed when you get to go and see, again, pictures don't do justice because this is a 3D thing. Fabric, it looks like. I mean, they can actually, he's not the only one with this talent. They will carve, you know, the, the robe and it will look exactly as a robe would flow. Go home and try that on a bar of ivory soap and see how that turns out. That's talent. It's incredible. I can't imagine it. But he had this. And one day a guy comes into his shop and is looking at one of his, his sculptures and he's nearly done with it. And he says, you know, it doesn't look like you've made a whole lot of progress since the last time I was here. And he says, oh no, I've, I've done a whole lot of work. I've... I've I've touched up this. I've, I smoothed this out. I did a little bit of, of shading in here. And, and he shows him all these little things. And the man says to him, But those are all just tiny trifles of a thing. And Michelangelo then replied with this Trifles make perfection. And perfection is no trifle. Another way of putting that, the architect said, God is in the details. There is no detail too small to matter. There's no detail that's actually insignificant. If it leads to this kind of perfection, was the idea. Sometimes when we talk about sharing the love of Christ with other people and living a life where we have to, uh, where we're trying to be more like Jesus, that sounds like this great big task. It's too much, and and it gets to be a little bit of like spires and stained glass. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's great big religious talk that just sounds too big for most of us. It does for me. I mean, every day you've got to get up and you've got to do that. Okay, what do you got to do today? Well, I've got to actually go be Jesus. That sounds a little difficult, okay? Because I know what holds me back from being Jesus. That's going to be a problem. So, what do you do? Trifles. Little things. We all know Small little things we can do. A touch up here. A little chiseled off there. A little bit of sanding here. Done as much by the Spirit or more than by us. But little things. Where each day we decide, you know what, today I'm going to go do this for this person. And it might be small. It may just be a phone call. It may be a card. It may be a note. It may be going over and helping them out. Rake in their yard, whatever it is. None of those things are trifles if they lead to the love of Christ, which is itself perfection. When Scripture tells us, be perfect as I am perfect, I don't know about you, but I'm intimidated. Okay? And I know that he means by perfection, he doesn't mean flawless, he means be whole and complete and And that doesn't help me that much, does it? Because I'm not whole and I'm not complete and God's never going to be done with me. I know that already. So what in the world? think what God is saying is what Michelangelo was saying. Yield to the sculptor's hand in all the little trifles today. Little things. One decision at a time. Give it all over to God and let Him make you more today like Himself than yesterday. Be shaped as he is shaped. Be sculpted as he is sculpted. Love as he is loved. And you'll be perfect as he is perfect, however he means that. One little trifle of a thing at a time. Let's pray together.